The Swiss Family Robinson, Chapter Eight: Construction of a Bridge. When my wife and I awakened the next morning, we resumed the question of our change of abode. I observed to her that it was a matter of difficulty, and that we might have reason to repent such a step. My own opinion is," said I, "that we had better remain here, where providence seems to have conducted us. The place is favorable to our personal safety, and is near the vessel from which we may continue to enrich ourselves. We are on all sides protected by the rocks. It is so solemn and inaccessible, but by sea, or by the passage of the river, which is not easily accomplished. Let us then have patience yet a little longer, at least, till we have got all that can be removed or that would be useful to us from the ship. My wife replied that the intense heat of the sands was insupportable; that by remaining we lost all hope of procuring fruits of any kind, and must live on oysters or on such wild birds as that we found so unpalatable. As for the safety you boast of. Pursued she, the rocks did not prevent our receiving a visit from the jackals, nor is it improbable that tigers or other animals might follow their example. Lastly, as to the treasures we might continue to draw from the vessel, I renounce them with all my heart. We are already in possession of provisions and other useful things, and to say the truth, my heart is always filled with distressing apprehensions when you and Fritz are exposed to the danger of that perfidious element, the sea. We will then think seriously of the matter, but let us have a well-digested scheme of operation before we leave this spot for your favorite wood. First, we must contrive a storehouse among the rocks for our provisions and other things. And to which, in case of invasion in the wood, we can retreat and defend ourselves. This agreed, the next thing is to throw a bridge across the river. If we are to pass it with all our family and baggage, a bridge! Exclaimed to my wife, "Can you possibly think of such a thing? If we stay while you build a bridge, we may consider ourselves as fixed for life. Why should we not cross the river as we did before? The ass and the cow will carry all we possess upon their backs." But do you re- recollect that it, that to keep what they carry dry, they must not perform their journey as they did from the vessel? For this reason, then, if for no other, we must contrive a bridge. We shall want also some sacks and baskets to contain our different matters. You may therefore set about making these, and I will undertake the bridge, which the more I consider, the more I find to be of indispensable necessity. For the stream will no doubt at times increase, and the passage become impracticable in any other way. At this moment, it would be found so for our shortest-legged animals, and I am sure you would not wish to see them drowned. Well, then a bridge let there be," said my wife, "and you will leave our stock of gunpowder here. I hope, for I am never easy with it so near us—a thunderstorm, or some thoughtless action of one of the boys." Might expose us to serious dangers. You are right, my love, and I will carefully attend to your suggestion. We will keep on hand only a sufficient quantity for daily use. I will contrive a place in the rock for the rest, where it will be safe from the chance of fire or dampness. It is an article which, according to the use which 
is made for it may become on the other on the one hand a most dangerous enemy and on the other a most useful friend thus then we decided the important question of removing to a new abode after which we fixed upon a plan of labor for the day and then awaked the boys their delight on hearing of our project may easily be conceived but they expressed their fear that it would be a long while before a bridge could be built a single heir appearing an age to them with such a novelty in view as the prospect of removing to the wood to live under the giant trees they in the fullness of their joy entreated that the place might be called the promised land we now began to look about for breakfast fritz taking care not to neglect his monkey who sucked one of the goats as contentedly as if she had been its mother my wife undertook to milk another and then the cow and afterwards gave some of the milk to each of the children with a part of what remained she made a sort of soup with biscuits and the rest she put into one of the, of the flasks to accompany us in our expedition during this time i was preparing the boat for another journey to the vessel to bring away a sufficient quantity of planks and timbers for the bridge after breakfast we set out and now i took with me ernest as well as fritz that we might accomplish our object in a shorter time we rode stoutly till we had reached the current which soon drew us on beyond the bay but scarcely had we passed a little outlet lying on one side of us than we perceived a prodigious quantity of seagulls and other birds i had a curiosity to discover what could be the reason of such an assemblage of these creatures i steered for the spot but finding that the boat made but little way i hoisted my sail to earnest our expedition afforded the highest delight he was in ecstasies at seeing the sail begin to swell and the motion of the steamer in the air fritz on his part did not for a moment take his eyes from the outlet where the birds were presently he suddenly exclaimed i see what it is the birds are all pecking tooth and beak at a monstrous fish which lies dead upon the soil i approached near enough to step upon the land and after bringing the boat to an anchor with a heavy stone we stole softly up to the birds we soon perceived that the object which attracted them was in reality an enormous fish which had been thrown there by the sea so eagerly were they occupied with the feast that not one of them attempted to fly off we observed with astonishment the extreme ferocity of this plumbed group each bird was so intent upon its prey that we might have killed great numbers of them with our sticks alone fritz did not cease to express his wonder at the monstrous size of the animal and asked me by what means he could have got there i believe answered i you were yourself the means there is every appearance that it is the very shark you wounded yesterday see here are the two balls which you discharged at its head yes yes it is the very same said my young hero skipping about for joy i will remember i had two balls in my gun and here they are lodged in his hideous head i grant it is hideous enough continued i its aspect even when dead makes one shudder particularly when i re recollect how easy it would have been for him to have devoured us see what a huge mouth he has and what a rough and prickly skin one might almost use it for a fowl and his length must be above twenty feet we ought to be thankful to providence and a little to our fritz also for having delivered us from such a monster but let us take away with us some pieces of his skin for i have an idea that it may be 
may in some way or other be useful to us, but how to get at it, him, is the difficulty. Ernest drew out the iron ramrod from his gun, and by striking with it to the right and left among the birds, soon dispersed them. Fritz and I then advanced and cut several long strips of the skin from the head of the shark, with which we were proceeding to our boat, when I observed, lying on the ground, some planks and timbers which had recently been cast by the sea on this little island. On measuring the longest, we perceived they would answer our purpose, and with the assistance of the crow and a lever, we had brought with us found means to get them into the boat, and thus spare ourselves the trouble of proceeding to the vessel. With great exertion of our strength, we contrived to bind the timbers together with the planks upon them in the manner of a raft, and tied them to the end of the boat, so that through this adventure we were ready to return in four hours from the time of departure, and might boast of having done a good day's work. I accordingly pushed again from, for the current, which soon drove us out to sea. Then I tacked about and resumed the direct route for the bay. All this succeeded to my utmost wishes. I unfurled my sail, and a brisk wind soon conveyed us to our landing place. While we were sailing, Fritz, at my request, had nailed the strips of skin we cut from the shark to the mast to dry, and he now observed to me that this was wrong, as that had taken its round shape in drying and could not be made flat again. That was precisely my intention, replied I. They will be more useful to us round than flat. Besides, you have still some left, which you may dry flat, and then we shall have a fine provision of shagging. It, if we can find a good method to rub off the sharp points and afterwards to polish it. I thought, said Ernest, that shag green was made of asses skin, and you were not mistaken, rejoined I. The best shag green is made in Turkey, Persia, and Tartary, from skin taken from the back of the ass and the horse. While the skin is yet moist, it is stretched upon a kind of hard fat. Then they beat the skin, by which means the fat is incorporated, and gives the surface the appearance of a kind of fowl. But very good shagreen is also made from the skin of sea fish, particularly in France. Ernest asked his brother if he knew why the mouth of the shark is not, as in other animals, placed in the middle of the snout, but directly under. Fritz confessed his inability to answer this question. I suppose, rejoined Ernest, that the mouth of the shark is thus placed, with the intention of preventing him from depopulating the sea and the land. With so excessive a voraciousness of appetite as he possesses, nothing would escape him if he had the power to seize his prey without turning his body. But as it is, there is time enough for a smaller animal to make his escape. Well reasoned, my young philosopher, cried I, and though we should not always be able to comprehend the intention of the Creator in the objects which surround us, at least the conjectures we are induced to form respecting them cannot fail of being a useful exercise to the mind. We were once more landed safely on our shore, but no one of our family appeared. We called to them as loud as we could which was answered by the same sounds in return, and in a few minutes my wife appeared, between her two little boys, returning from the river, a rising piece of ground having concealed her from our sight. Each carried a handkerchief in hand, which appeared filled with some new prize, and little Francis had a small fishing net, formed like a bag and strung upon a stick which he carried on his shoulder. No sooner did they hear our voices than they flew to meet us, surprised at our quick return. Jack reached us before the rest, and his first act was to open the handkerchief he held and pour out a large number of lobsters at our feet. Their mother and little Francis produced each 
as many more, forming all together a prodigious heap in all lives, so that we were sure of excellent dinners for some days at least. Some of the animals tried to escape in different directions, and the boys in following them were kept in full chase, sometimes pleased and sometimes angry, sometimes laughing, sometimes scolding at the bootless trouble they were engaged in. For no sooner had they seized on the deserter than ten more had followed his example. Now have I not been very lucky, Papa, said little Francis, for you must know it was I who found them out. Look, there are more than two hundred of them, and see how large they are, what fine claws they have. I am sure they will be quite delicious. Father, excellent indeed, my little fellow, and particularly if it was your industry that first discovered them. Jack, yes, father, it was Francis who saw them first, but it was I who ran to tell Mamma, and it was I who fetched the net and put it to rights, and it was I who went up to my knees in water to catch them. Father, you make a charming story of it together, my boys, but as it is an interesting subject, you may tell me as many particulars as you please. It is indeed an event of some importance for our kitchen, and I have great pleasure in looking forward to partaking of a dish of your providing. Jack. Well then, Papa, as soon as you were gone, Mama sat down outside the tent and began to work, while Francis and I took a little walk towards the river to find out a proper place for you to begin the bridge. Father. Bravo, Mr. Architect. But joking apart, I am much gratified to find that careless head of yours for once employed upon a useful subject. Did you find a proper place for me to br begin the bridge? Jack. Yes, Father, yes. But listen, and you will know all. When we reached the river, we saw a large stone just at the edge, and little Francis, kneeling down and touching it, suddenly cried out, Jack, Jack, Fritz's jackal is covered all over with lobsters. Run as fast as you can. I sprang to him in an instant and saw not only the jackal covered with them, but legions more coming in with the stream. I ran to tell Mama, who quickly got the net. You brought from the vessel. Partly with this net and partly with our hands, we caught those you see in a very few minutes, and we should have caught a much larger number if we had not heard your, you cough, for the river is quite full of them. You took quite enough for once, my boy, said I. A little at a time is the maxim that suits us best, and I should even advise you taking the smallest of them back to the river where they will grow larger. We shall still have sufficient for several magnificent repasts. This, then, said I to myself, is a new source for our support. Even here in these arid regions, we find means to procure not only the necessaries of life, but even luxuries. May we never cease to evince our gratitude to Providence by the ex exercise of a more than ordinary care and industry. After giving in our turn an account of our voyage, my wife set about dressing some of the lobsters, and in the meantime, Fritz and I employed ourselves in untying the raft of timbers and planks and in moving them from the boat. I then imitated the example of the Laplanders in harnessing their reindeer for drawing their sledges. Instead of traces, halters, I put a piece of rope with a running knot at the end round the neck of the ass and passed the other between its legs to which I tied the piece of wood which I wished to be removed. The cow was harnessed in the same manner and we were thus enabled to carry our materials piece by piece to the spot which architect Jack had chosen at the river as the most eligible for our bridge. To say the truth, I thought his judgment excellent. It was a place where the shore on each side was steep and of equal height. There was even on one side an old trunk of a tree lying on the ground, which I foresaw would have its use. 
Now then, boys, said I, the first thing is to see if our timbers are long enough to reach to the other side. By my eye, I should think they are, but if I had a surveyor's plane, we might be quite sure instead of working at her. But my mother has some balls of pack thread with which she measured the height of the giant tree, interrupted Ernest, and nothing would be more easy than to tie a stone to the end of one of them and throw it to the other side of the river. Then we could draw it to the very brink and thus obtain the exact length that would be required for our timbers. Your idea is excellent, cried I. Nothing gives me more pleasure than to see you exercise your invention. Run quickly and fetch the pack thread. He returned without loss of time. The stone was tied to its end and thrown across as we had planned. We drew it gently back to the river edge, making, marking the place where the bridge was to rest. We next measured the string and found that the distance from one side to the other was 18 feet. It appeared to me that to give a sufficient solidity to the timbers, I must allow three feet at each end of extra length for fixing them, making therefore in all twenty-four, and I was fortunate enough to find that many of those we had brought did not fall short of this length. There now remained the difficulty of carrying one end across the stream, but we determined to discuss this part of the subject while we ate our dinner, which had been waiting for us more than an hour. We all proceeded homewards and entered the kitchen. We found our good steward had prepared for us a large dish of lobsters, but before tasting them she insisted we should look at something she had been employed about. She produced two sacks intended for the ass, which she had seamed with pack thread. The work, she assured us, had with difficulty been accomplished, since for one of a needle large enough to carry pack thread, she had been obliged to make a hole with a nail for every stitch. We might therefore judge by her perseverance in such a task of the ardor with which she longed to see her plan of a removal executed. She received on this occasion, as was well her due, abundance of compliments and thanks from her companions, and also a little good-humored raillery. For this time we hurried through our meal, each being deeply interested in the work we were about to undertake, and thinking only of the part which might be assigned him towards the execution of the nonsuch, for this was for mutual encouragement was the name we gave our bridge, even before it was in existence. Having consulted as to the means of laying our timbers across the river, the first thing I did was to attach one of them to the trunk of the tree, of which I have already spoken by a strong cord, long enough to turn freely round the trunk. I then fastened a second cord to the other end of the timber, and tying a stone to its extremity, flung it to the opposite bank. I next passed the river, as I had done before, furnished with a pulley, which I secured to a tree. I passed my second cord through the pulley, and recrossing the river with this cord in my hand, I contrived to harness the ass and cow to the end of the cord. I next drove the animals from the bank of the river. They resisted at first, but I made them go by force of drawing. I fixed, first fixed one end of the beam firm to the trunk of the tree, and then they drew along the other end so as gradually to advance over the river. Presently, to my great joy, I saw it touch the other side, and at length become fixed and firm by its own weight. In a moment, Fritz and Jack leaped upon the timber, and in spite of my paternal fears, crossed the stream with a joyful step upon this narrow but effective bridge. The first timber being thus laid, the difficulty was considerably dis diminished. A second and a third were fixed in succession, and with the greatest ease. Fritz and I, standing on opposite sides of the river, placed them at such distances from each other as was necessary to form a broad 
and handsome bridge. What now remained to be done was to lay some short planks across them quite close to each other, which we executed so expeditiously that our construction was completed in a much shorter time than I should have imagined possible. The reader should have seen our young workmen to form the least conception of the delight they felt. They jumped, danced, played a thousand antics, and uttered a thousand joyful sounds upon their bridge. For my own part, I could hardly restrain myself from joining in those demonstrations of their perfect happiness, and my wife, who had been the mover of all our operations, was as little disposed to a silent calm enjoyment of our success as any of the rest. She ran to one and then to another, embracing each in turn, and was never tired of passing and repassing on our piece of workmanship, which was everywhere safe and even at least ten feet in breadth. I had not fastened the cross planks to each other, for they appeared to be close and firm without it. And besides, I recollected that in case of danger from any kind of invasion, we could with the greater ease remove them, and thus render the passage of the river more difficult. Our labor, however, had occasioned us so much fatigue, that we found ourselves unable for that day to enter upon new exertions. And the evening beginning to set in, we returned to our home, where we partook heartily of an excellent supper, and went to bed.